Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and this is the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Bye 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 Edition. Yes, I just named an episode of the podcast after an NSYNC song, which is a bit of a credibility killer, but hey, I happen to think that Justin Timberlake is one of the most talented people on the planet and that he and Jimmy Fallon should co-host the Oscars. And I am totally going off on a tangent. Where were we? It's the Bengals bye week. And on this episode of the podcast, I'll talk to my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, about a wide variety of topics, including the possibility of Hugh Jackson returning to the Bengals in some capacity this year after being fired in Cleveland. I'll also go one-on-one with first-round draft pick Billy Price, who could be back from his foot injury when the Bengals return to action a week from Sunday against the Saints. And we'll visit with the quarterback who had the highest passer rating ever in a Super Bowl. No, it's not Joe Montana, Tom Brady, or Terry Bradshaw. Stick around to find out who it is. All of that is straight ahead, but first... Here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since the NFL bye week. I love my job and can honestly say that I feel like I have never worked a day in my life. But this Sunday, after hopefully calling a Bearcats win over Navy on Saturday, I am looking forward to watching football in the family room with my son, eating a ton of unhealthy food, and enjoying a frosty beverage. I also hope it's the last weekend without a Bengals football game until mid-February. Unless, of course, they earned a first-round playoff bye. All right, enough rambling. Time to talk football with Dave Lapple. The Cleveland Browns fired Hugh Jackson on Monday with a 3 36-1 record in two and a half years. Mm. Yikes. We know he was close to Marvin Lewis and well-liked by Mike Brown. What are the odds that Hugh Jackson returns to Cincinnati in some role this year? I think they're decent. You know, I I think Marvin and Hugh are like brothers, really. And uh, when you look at it, the Bengals still have to play the Cleveland Browns twice in a five-week span. And what better source of information for the Cleveland Browns than the former head coach that was coaching them this year? I mean, he can get up and give a dissertation to any one of the three phases and give valuable information. Plus the fact that when he game-planned against the Steelers, they tied, you know, and um, he knows Baltimore intimately. He knows Cleveland intimately. He knows the Pittsburgh Steelers intimately, having been a head coach uh, as well as an assistant in this division, but a head coach now as well. The last two games of the season, on the road, Cleveland and Pittsburgh. What's wrong with having another good football coach with a very bright mind, game planning, making suggestions? I, I could see special consultant to the head coach. I'm not saying assistant head coach, but special consultant to the head coach, whatever it may be, and, uh, and just you know use him in that regard. Just another guy in the meeting rooms with suggestions. Guys, you know what really worked? When we played Pittsburgh, this, this really worked. Maybe we can think of this concept. We have the personnel to think of this concept. Those kind of things are invaluable. And why not, uh, why not do it with a guy that, you know, I think would come in and not, uh, not cause a bunch of waves? Joe Mixon had a career-high 123 yards against Tampa Bay on 21 carries. For the year lap, he's averaging 4.8 yards per carry. That is better than Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, and Kareem Hunt, among others. What's Joe doing well? Where can he be better? You know, Joe has uh, proven that he's a complete back. I mean, his, his size-speed ratio, he's a freak. 
225 pounds plus to be able to run the way he runs. He can catch the football. Um, you heard him, though, when he tried to one-hand catch that screen pass. That's a habit that he has. He doesn't have to use just one hand. He has to break that habit. He's done it so much, you know, it's like muscle memory now. He can't be doing that anymore. He will block and blitz pick up. Uh, the, the one fly in the ointment, in my mind, is that particularly when it's third and short, fourth and short, hit it. Don't hit it, stop, think, and even retreat. And three instances in the last game when he had set his career high, he was a yard past the line of scrimmage, retreated, and tried to bounce. Lower those pads. You're 225-plus pounds. Hammer it. Get the two or three yards. Move the chains. You don't have to hit a grand slam every, every carry. And, um, you know, keep working on your vision. I don't think he has the greatest natural vision of any running back in the league. And that's something that you either have or you don't. There's instincts there that are natural. Uh, but it can be improved. And I think Joe needs to, you know, work, work on that part of it. I, you know, that would be the other thing that uh, as I watch him run the football, because he's a, he's a naturally gifted cutback runner, all those kind of things. But sometimes, you know, you wonder uh, why he does it when he does it. He picks and chooses at odd times sometimes. The Bengals have as many significant injuries as any team in the NFL. Who do you think will be back immediately after the bye, and what guys are likely to be out for a little while longer? Boy, I think the guy that probably has the best chance of coming back immediately after the bye physically is Billy Price. Um, I think he's he already practiced limited even uh, before the game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so he's tracking in the right direction. But I would make sure that he's back and ready, not just back. I mean physically ready and ready to play. I mean, he hasn't played football in a couple of months. And, you know, the thing is Trey Hopkins is playing good football. I thought the interior of the offensive line, including Westerman, um, acquitted themselves well against Tampa Bay. I thought Redmond had his best game. He didn't give up a pressure the whole game. So um, I, I would be smart with Billy Price. Giovanni Bernard might be my next available candidate, but I'm not sure he'll be ready for New Orleans, but it'll be, it'll be shortly thereafter. Everybody else, kind of a week-to-week basis, and the guys they're really missing uh, to help their third-down situation is Nick Vigil, who in my mind in today's football is as good a nickel linebacker as there is, long guy that can run, can run with running backs and tight ends. They're getting killed at the linebacker level. I mean, they have the most targets against them in the NFL, according to pro football focused at the linebacker level and the most uh, completions against them. And then um, Darquez Denard, you know, you have a luxury of a former first-round cornerback at slot corner communicating everything. That was, that was big. Not having him there in that slot corner and that nickel and dime package is, is hurting them big time. So those guys, man, there's a, you know, APB to get them back as quickly as possible, but you can't rush these things. Everybody heals at a different rate, you know, so you just have to be patient. Lap, the Bengals are on a pace to give up the most yards of any team in NFL history. Back in 2000, Marvin Lewis was the coordinator of a Baltimore defense that gave up the fewest points of any team in NFL history, at least in a 16-game season. Should Marvin take a more hands-on approach with the Bengals' defense? You know, you'd almost think with his defensive background that he is. You know, I I think he's in a good percentage of defensive meetings if my defense is struggling like it is and I'm the head coach and I have the expertise I have on that side of the football I have my thumb on the pulse of that bad boy Um, but in terms of calling defensive plays tried it Leslie Frazier defensive coordinator the defense was struggling Marvin took over play calling they went up to Cleveland and got smoked it was like 34 to 3 or something 
didn't go well. So maybe with that past history in mind, he may think twice about it. Um, I, I think that they just have to, they have to work their way through it. In conversation uh, um, with Coach Austin earlier in the week, you know, he talked about 2015 Lions that he was a, a coordinator for. And they went 1-7 to start the season. They'd given up over 3,000 yards in the first half of the season. They were tracking dismally, too. And they tweaked some things, made some adjustments. And, you know, he said everything's in play. Scheme, the way we're approaching it, personnel, calls we're making, the whole thing is going to be examined. And in Detroit, um, shortly thereafter, they went to Green Bay and won on the road for the first time in 30 years. And they went 6-2, and two and, and they, the, the loss was to Green Bay on the Hail Mary was one of the losses. So they could have gone seven and one after starting one and seven. So his point is if we can find that type of magic and be five and two and go six and two on the back end, now you're looking at an eleven and five record or you know, if you can go seven and one even better. So obviously it can't get worse. It has to improve. And you've got a lot of young guys, I think, that are making a lot of mental errors. Um, it's that seems to be the case. And with that you almost when you give in when you because of the injury you have to give the guys on the job training you have to be patient because with every rep they're getting they're going to improve i mean repetition breeds comfort level and right now in the first half of the season a lot of their heads were spinning some of these young guys i mean their their roles expanded to a point that they had no concept no idea when they broke training camp that they were going to be in these positions but they are and that's, that's life in the National Football League, and everybody has to adjust. It's, it's adjustments and adjustments to adjustments, and you just have to do it and, uh, and build and continue to grow. Lap, the Bengals have obviously had problems at the linebacker position this year. The last time they drafted a linebacker in the first two rounds of the draft was 2009. That's 10 drafts ago when they took Ray Mauluga in the second round. The year before that, they took Keith Rivers in the first round. Did they need to address that position earlier in the draft? I think in this era of the NFL, tight ends are so good that linebackers are involved with that coverage. I, th- I think you have to maybe modify your approach. Um, the Bengals, the, the way they've they've built their defenses in today's NFL is pass rushers and cover guys because it's a throwing league, and you know then you worry about linebackers third, and it's it's work for them. I mean, they have Pro Bowl pass rushers in Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap. They've got multiple first-round picks. They still have three, even though Darquez is hurt. Three first-round picks, former first-rounders in the back end. So in today's NFL, if you have two Pro Bowl pass rushers and three first-round cover guys in the back end, it should be the makings of a decent defensive football team. But they're getting pounded at the linebacker level. Pro Football Focus says they've been targeted more than any team at that level of the field, that position group, that intermediate range, and more completions against them. Now, you know, injuries, you know, in the last game, Vontez, Burfecht, Nick Vigil, they're the nickel linebackers. Both were down. And I think Nick Vigil is as good a nickel linebacker as there is in the game. He can really run long, can run with those tight ends, run with the running backs. And he was drafted in the third round. So if there is a guy that, that is worthy of it, I don't think you reach for it necessarily. But if you're doing the, your evaluations and Duke Tobin and his crew do as good as anybody – uh, in, in, in that aspect of it, and your board sorts out that way, and you have one, you know, even if it's early second round or hopefully late first round, but early second round because of a trade, mm-hmm. pull the trigger if he's the guy, you know, because in today's NFL, it's it's a must. 
Hugh Jackson was not the only former Bengals coach who got fired this week. Paul Alexander, in his first year as the offensive line coach of the Dallas Cowboys, only lasted half a season. Does the Bengals' offensive line look significantly different under Frank Pollock already than it did under Paul Alexander? Yes. They have an attitude. I mean, they, they will fight you. They'll, they'll do everything they possibly can. Um, their whole posture is aggressiveness. Whereas before, it was passiveness. It was retreat and catch. This group makes a stand and punches. And as a former lineman, I much prefer that, much prefer seeing that. And I know the quarterback much prefers seeing that because even if you give up, you know, you, you can't be so consumed with a personal stat of, oh, quarterback sacks, that you're giving up consistent pressure and the, the, the pass rush is getting in the quarterback's face every snap, but because he's a smart team player, he's getting the ball out of his hands in less than two and a half seconds, but he has no space to throw the football. You're not helping the football team. You're hurting the football team. I don't give a damn if you only give up 18 sacks. If you give up 98 pressures, terrible. I'd rather give up 50 pressures and 30 of them end up being sacks because those other 48 snaps, the quarterback's seeing the field and picking them apart. So I'm not as concerned with sack numbers as I am with overall pressure numbers. What does the pocket look like for the quarterback? Andy Dalton's not the biggest quarterback in the world. I get so sick and tired of him throwing out of a hole where he couldn't even see. I mean, he's, he's throwing with so much anticipation and, and, and has to be accurate with it. He's not even seeing where, the, where it's going to end up. And receivers as well. You'll talk to receivers. When Doug Flutie was a teammate in uh, New Jersey, 5'9", and he, he dropped down to throw the ball by his shoulders. He's throwing the ball about five-foot level. And he threw between rushers. He didn't throw over the top of anybody. Our receivers would complain about when he's in pocket, the ball would come out like a jug's on between bodies. And it was on top of them before they could react. They never saw the ball out of the quarterback's hand. Every receiver will tell you when they can see the quarterback out of uh, the ball out of the quarterback's hands, they can make much better adjustments. So if you're a pro- if the quarterback's thrown out of a hole and the receivers can't see the ball coming out of his hand, that's a double dip tragedy right there. So I like the fact that they're jumping people, they're taking people on, they're giving the quarterback a cleaner pocket, more vision, space. He can climb the pocket easier. Long story short, I like what I'm seeing, and uh, I, I, they're, they're much more aggressive. They're coming off the football. And, and honestly, are they an upper crust talent-wise offensive line? No. But Frank Pollock, is he doing it with smoke and mirrors? Probably so, to an extent. But you know what? Sometimes the sum of the parts equal, is a lot better than each individual piece of it. And that's what when you have a good f- offensive line, you have five guys believing in each other, playing in concert. The sum of the parts can be better than any individual Pro Bowl stud or whatever. If you have a, a Pro Bowl stud and four schmucks, it ain't going to get you much. much it ain't going to get you very far. Be a good band name. <laughs> All right, last thing. Last week. The Bengals were nearly toppled by 35-year-old Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, as we all know, is a Harvard man. Yes. Here's this week's question. Between 10 years playing in the NFL and two years in the USFL, who is the smartest guy you ever played with? Another Harvard man, Pat McAnally. <laughs> that guy was – he had perfect score in the Wonderlick, only one, 50 out of 50. And I said, you know – how quickly did you finish it? I was bored, man. I was sitting around for five minutes. He, he, Pat McAnally is the kind of guy that if you're sitting in a room with him, 
and you have a conversation, every single sentence you say, he can make a joke out of it. He can come up with some kind of humor. He is the most quick-witted dude, and his humor can go all the way from, wow, sophistication of sarcasm to the nth degree to, you know, down and dirty with the best of them and everything in between. Pat McAnally is uh, he's a brilliant dude, and I remember many times, you know, I, I loved being around him, and he dogged me all the time because I get accepted to Harvard and didn't go, and he said, well, you know, I hesitate to uh, be in your company, being that stupid. But at any rate, um, I would go in, I'd go into his room a lot at night, you know, after practices, and he'd, he'd play a guitar, you know, strum along, and, and he'd write songs, you know, and write his own music, write songs. The, the guy, he could do anything. There's nothing that Pat McAnally couldn't do. Um, so he, he made a pact, basically. He said, you know, my goal, Lapham, is to not work a day in my life and be a gazillionaire. And he hasn't had a real job in his life, and he's a gazillionaire. You know, at starting lineup, he invented that, Kenner Toys. He went, uh, you know, to all of his Harvard alums in, in, uh, in, in all the leagues and got the, the rights, went to Kenner Toys right here in Cincinnati. They, they jumped on it, bought into it. Simple deal, figurine with an autograph card, and uh, made a fortune. He was getting seven-figure commission checks twice a year. <laughs> Crazy. Then he, uh, cl- he started collecting... Uh, first edition comic books in mint condition made a fortune uh, he, he wrote his uh, his column you know just uh, for kids uh, syndicated newspaper column while he was playing all his Harvard connections around the you know, the cities uh, got him into these newspapers and the dude has been printing cash from the day he was able to print cash and, and will the rest of his life he is he is a very very unique uh, brilliant bright-minded guy smartest guy i've ever been around glad you worked with somebody smart in your lifetime (laughs) (laughs) thanks lap according to the website pro football focus none of the bengals offensive linemen have a particularly high grade so far this year clint bowling ranks highest at 28th among the 74 guards with enough snaps to qualify but the o-line could get a boost right after the bye as center Billy Price, the Bengals' first-round draft pick out of Ohio State, could be back from his foot injury. I talked to Billy about that possibility on Tuesday. Inside the locker room with center Billy Price, bye weekend this weekend, and uh, the Saints at home after that. Do you expect to be back out there? I'm just following what the protocol is right now with, uh, with the docs. I uh, got into practice last week, uh, felt pretty good, so we're going to take it into uh, the rest of this week and then uh, follow what they want me to do next week. If it's not the Saints game, I, I think we're all pretty confident it's going to be soon. And I imagine you're eager to get back out there. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no pain right now. It uh, feels good. And, again, we're just kind of following following what uh, uh, you know, Paul Sparring and the guys inside the training room are asking me to do. How have you stayed on top of things mentally while you haven't been able to play? Uh, for me, it's making sure I'm sitting there with Coach Bollock. So during practice, if I'm not participating, so in the previous weeks, uh, sitting back there with the script and kind of going over the looks with Coach Pollock, and, and I, I had a pen in my pocket or in my hat the entire time and writing down notes, um, just to make sure that you're still sharp mentally with what the what the defensive pictures are going to be. Um, you know, we haven't really played a lot of divisional guys, so um, I mean, Pittsburgh was the only only team, and, and then the rest of the Baltimore game. So I'm going to be able to see these guys again. So making sure that I recognize some of the uh, tendencies that these guys are presenting to us, just so when it comes down to the second time we play them, that I'm, it's not new information to me. You were an Iron Man at Ohio State. You never came out. How difficult has that been, just having to watch from the sideline? Uh, it's uh, a different perspective. Um, I don't enjoy it, I can tell you that. 
Um, you know, it's just it's a it was a freaky injury, you know, especially I just got on top of a guy, and you know I told Coach Paul like you know got to improve my technique to make sure I don't put myself in that position. So um, it's just it, it's 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 not a good feeling, especially when you know it's out of your control. Uh, so we're going to make sure we do everything in our, our our potential to make sure that we stay on the field. Visiting with Billy Price, Coach Lewis said early this week that the offensive line has steadily improved during the course of the season. How do you feel about the way the entire group has performed? Uh, you know, it, you know, I, I first and foremost got to tip my hat to Trey Hopkins again, a guy, somebody who's, you know, when his number is called, he stepped into it and he's dominated every every single game from, you know, we joke around my, my one and a quarter game that I played in, uh, you know, with Indy and, and Baltimore, and then from him taking on those three quarters in Baltimore. Uh, and just really dominate. I think it's steady improvement. Um, you know, you see guys like, you know, the, the, I mean, the left side with the veterans are, are, are performing, you know, exceptional right now. Um, you know, Alex Redman continues to grow. Bobby continues to grow. I mean, I think it's as a whole, as a group, to, to your point, guys are growing. Guys are continuing to develop that continuity and building that chemistry to that offensive line's need when it comes down to stretch time. All right, I'm going to give you, like, the uh, best-case scenario. The injury's unfortunate. Stinks that you've missed much of the first half of your rookie season, but are you going to be fresh for the second half and, and hopefully playoff games after that? I'm, that's that's the goal. That's the goal. So if um, you know, again, we get cleared uh, to play in the Saints game. If we get cleared to play in the Saints game, um, you know, those legs won't have that additional seven weeks that I uh, I've been sitting out on. So we'll be ready to uh, bring a little pop and bring a little energy back into the run game, into the pass game, whenever my time is called to be back on the field. Enjoy the bye. Look forward to seeing you back out there soon. Thank you. Can't wait either. Billy Price has been out of action since September 13th due to a partially torn ligament in his foot. After redshirting his first year at Ohio State, he started all 55 possible games over the next four seasons to set the Buckeyes' record for starts and consecutive games. Now time to hear from a special guest. You see him every week on CBS on the NFL Today and on Showtime on Inside the NFL. Or you can go to YouTube and watch the greatest performance by a quarterback in Super Bowl history, 22 for 25, with three touchdown passes and a Super Bowl record passer rating of 150.9. I am speaking of former New York Giants quarterback Phil Simms. He and Dave Lapham have been buddies for years, and Phil joined us this week on the Bengals Game Plan Show. Phil? Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, it, it, it's no, uh, it, it's it's no shock that you're a legend in New York and a Hall of Fame player, my man. Well, you know, I'm a legend because I'm not playing anymore. <laughs> As Bill Parcells would always say, Sims, just trust me, they're going to love you once you quit playing. I said, okay, and. I didn't know I was on YouTube like that, so I might just watch it today to boost my ego a little bit. I need some help. Getting a little tired of watching these games, so uh, get myself going again. But, look, always a pleasure to talk to you guys. And, Big Dave, I heard you a couple weeks ago. You know, you were all over everything, TV, the throw against the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, man, I, I thought, oh, my God, I hope he didn't jump out of the booth because he's going to splatter about ten people below him. <laughs> But it's really fun. You know, I love the calls of stuff like that by the home team announcers. It's just great because I know. I just talked to Carl Banks, who does radio for the New York Giants. Sure. And I said, Carl, 
do you just are you still living and dying with the team like you're playing? He goes, it's not as bad, Phil, but it's close. And I yeah. said, oh my gosh, I can imagine. So good, good for you for some good moments. And hey, you're five and three. I mean, almost every team in the league would take five and three, except maybe teams like the Rams. There's very few that can say their record is better than the Bengals right now. You know, that's that's was going to be my first question, Phil, um, because you know you you've got your thumb on the pulse of the national. Uh, opinions and early on before the season started training camp the Bengals weren't just under the radar they were off the radar I mean nobody was even right. talking about the Cincinnati Bengals and and then they get off to a fast start four and one but then they go to Kansas City and they lay an egg on on you know Sunday night football and it was ah oh, same old Bengals and they they you know basically blow an 18 point lead but do win the game at the gun against Tampa Bay and they go into the bye week five and three as opposed to four and four which is big what do you think the national perspective on this football team is right now? Oh, I think there's just tons of question marks because of that. You know, the fact that the way they lost to the Kansas City Chiefs, to lose a big lead to the to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I just think, you know, you look, and, you know, we talk about it all the time. And show you look like, hey, you know, the Pingles are 5-3. and three. And, of course, I work with two AFC North guys, Bill Cower and Boomer Esiason, right. who constantly talk about the division. So we, I, we keep up with it that way. But um, I, I think it's still you're, you're still under the radar, and you know it's going to take a big victory or something to separate yourself before people um, really get serious. I guess is the best thing to say. And you know, and I got to be honest, talking to you and you and I talk occasionally. That I look at the Bengals roster, and I just go, "Wow, okay, wow, man." You know, even before the season, I went, yeah. "Gosh, dang!" They, on paper. It just looks like a knock-dead playoff team. And then they show moments, I go, boy, I think here it goes. They're going to roll. And um, something derails it. And, you know, a lot of that to do now in the NFL, it is so much about matchups like I've never seen before. Yeah. And there's certain – it's like Boomer says it all the time. Well, the Bengals beat this team, and this team beats this team, and then the other team beats the Bengals. And, and I go, yeah, that reminds me of the NFC East when we were all pretty good teams, and it was we couldn't beat Philadelphia. Washington could beat Philadelphia. We could beat Washington, and, you know, that kind of thing. So, and, and Washington couldn't beat us. So it's, it is about matchups more than ever and style, and I've never seen anything like it in the NFL on the offensive side, what's going on. So the games you played, I wasn't shocked that Tampa Bay came back because look at their offense. Yeah. I mean, look at the players. The yep. system is, a, is designed to hammer the ball down the field. And, you know, Fitzpatrick came in, took advantage of some things. And I, I think that's what catches me again. I'll make, finish the answer with this. I just expect more from the Bengals' defense than I've seen. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely been the Achilles' heel. Before we get to the Bengals' defense, let me ask you about quarterback play in the National Football League. And you know, the rules obviously uh, favor the offense. They want points. I mean, fantasy football is a five billion dollar industry. That, you know, they want points. They don't want nine six. They want forty one thirty eight. You know, and yeah. and uh, but here, here's a, here's a number. Interestingly enough, the Bengals' next opponent is Drew Brees after the bye, New Orleans Saints. Leads an all-time leader in passing yards. He's he's thrown for 4,200 yards or more 12 straight years. John Elway, Hall of Famer, never did it once in 16 years that he was playing. So that tells you the difference in the era 
because yeah, the okay. talent level's not the you know the talent level is pretty pretty darn good. I mean, it's a different game, isn't it? it, it it's a different game. I people say things to me, and I go, look. First off, if I was playing in the league now, I would change who I was as an athlete. Uh-huh. You know, we were told, hold that ball and stand in there, and if you flinch or don't throw it down the field, we'll take your big butt out. <laughs> and that was that was the thing. I would throw a five-yard pass and come to the sideline, you know, third and eight, and throw a five-yard pass to the flat. They tackle him, and Parcells going, what are you doing? And, I, you know, oh, what, do you, what do you mean? There was nobody open. He goes, oh. You're worried about your completion percentage. Right, is that right. what we're dealing with? That and I, but, but the offenses. What would Dan Marino and John Elway do in today's game? Oh my gosh! Yeah, they would be setting records like these other guys are. But it's the style of play. And Dave, we've never seen a time, guys. We've never seen a time where running backs and wide receivers and tight ends. There's so many good ones that really. The, the advantage that the defense used to have, it's all gone. And the, I don't know where the advantage is for the defense anymore. Don't hit them here. Don't hit them there. So that's one thing. So that makes people – I see guys pull off. You've seen it. That's a big thing. But I really give the rules and the coaches the creativity, the deception they're giving to defenses at an all-time high, and that's why we're seeing so many great numbers. And trust me, if these numbers start to fade a little bit as the year goes along and we finish the year, the NFL just go, you know, we need another rule to help this offense a little more. <laughs> and that's the life we live in. The fans love it. And you know what? We all can stay in the business if the fans keep loving it. I hear that, Coach. So you mentioned the uh, Bengals' defense. Their last three games, Phil, they gave up 481 yards and 28 points to Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. They gave up 551 yards and 45 points to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, and they just gave up 576 yards and 34 points to uh, both Winston and then Ryan Fitzpatrick. 1,608 yards. And, you know, I mean, you're talking about you know over 100 points, well over 100 points, obviously, you know, allowed. What what do you guys see when you, when you see the Bengals' defense? Well, you know, I'll say this generally about the NFL. You know, I judge defense is a little different now. I'm starting to like, okay, I'm not looking at stats as much. I'm looking at, you know, I, like I'll give you an example. Like the Kansas City Chiefs. I look at them, their defense, the ranks, the numbers, they're off the charts awful. Right. And But, but there's also the point of them, they have guys that make plays at the right time. D Ford, Justin Houston's not back now, big guys in front. But, and they play, they play all out. In other words, they're not afraid of giving up a big play or that kind of thing. And I almost think that's what the league has got to turn into. You just got to, you just got to realize you're going to give up some points, but let's be more aggressive and see if we can get some turnovers and sacks and fumbles and stuff like that. That's what it's turned into. And you know that's. Look at the L.A. Rams. They're giving up big yards the last couple weeks. Just think of their game against Minnesota. The high-scoring game, it was one of the best games I watched all year on TV, and I was like, wow, this is awesome. The game was on the line, and what happened? Oh, and Dominican Sue with the sack. Oh, Aaron Donald comes in, sack, strip, fumble, right. game over. And that's kind of what it is for the defense. You've got to have a couple guys that can make a play in a crucial time to win games. 
because the games are coming down. They're always close now because of the rules. And it's who can make the play at the end. And if you give most of these quarterbacks, I bet you there's 15 quarterbacks in the NFL. If you said to me, they get four downs from the 20, they got one timeout, and there's two minutes and 20 seconds to go, you know what I'd say? They're going to win. Yep. Yep. And so you better have somebody on that defensive side that's going to really help you win the game. Now, I look at you guys, and I'm amazed. Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, hell, do they ever age? I know. And, you know, they're doing it, but I just don't understand the back end of it where I know there's so many good players, high draft picks, of course, that that's got to be maybe, I don't want to say more aggressive. You know, I'm going to watch the Bengals game that you just played this weekend here later today. And it's just, it's it's a league, like I say, I think you really got to take more chances on defense than we have in the past, or most teams have in the past. And I see, team, I see some teams like the Kansas City Chiefs that are doing that, knowing that their offense can cover them if they give up these big plays. I, I tell you, Phil, the Bengals' defense falls into that category you're talking about. They're, they're tied for fourth in the NFL with 10 interceptions. They had 11 all year last year. They're tracking for 20 this year. They got 13 takeaways, tied for ninth in the league. They only had 14 all year last year. They're tracking for 26 this year. So, And they've, they've got four defensive touchdowns. Four different guys have scored for the defense. That leads the NFL, and that's that's 12.7% of the points on, that they've scored. I mean, the defense has been scoring for them. So, like you say, you know, they may be giving up yards. It may be a track meet, and then all of a sudden, boom, they make a play, and uh, and all of a sudden they, they help win the football game. Yeah, you know, and too, this yards thing, how we judge defenses, you know, I, I don't even look at a lot of stuff anymore. I, I, I do look at run defense, uh, and then I look to points scored a game. Yep. And, you know, I'll go to the master of all time, and that's Bill Belichick. You know, year in and year out, they their defense is not ranking high because they have a formula. They're, they're going to play a lot of man-to-man. They're going to make you throw good passes to beat them. But when you get down inside, the closer you get to the goal line, they're incredible. They always have a plan to go against you. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, the other, that's the other thing. There's a, you know, I, I can't name them all off the top of my head. I'd sit and think about it. But I'd say there's about six teams in the league. They don't have a style of defense. Their defense is, okay, who we playing this week? This is who we'll be. Mm-hmm. And I call them game plan defenses. And, and it, it's really, you know, Baltimore's one of them. You watch Baltimore every week. It's a new plan, what they're going to do over on the other side. And, and, of course, that's the Patriots. And you, it, Makes you think, okay, how are they going to play us? What are they going to do? All these things. And, uh, and it, it works inside the red zone, which is so important. It, it, it really is. that. And I'm still a big believer in run defense. Yep. If your run defense is pretty good, then you're going to get yourself in some situations where, you know, Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, and other guys, you know, i, I got to admit, a little surprised. As I looked at it, you know, last year you had the young guys on defense, Jordan Willis and Carl Lawson, and and then, and then you draft Sam Hubbard. That mm. was this year, Sam Hubbard, right? right. He's a rookie. Yep. Yep. Well, you draft the – I thought, oh, my gosh, they are going to destroy quarterbacks with this group. And it quite hasn't turned out that way, even though the sacks are it, – it's good. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know. I still – I think, again, my, Andy Dalton, until he wins a Super Bowl, nobody's ever going to, like – give him any love that's for sure and i i hey 
you know me, the business drives me crazy. Things that people say and and all that. Oh, well, until he gets it done in the playoffs. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, I forgot. Football is a one-man game. That's right. Yes. So, but those are the way, that's what it is. And, and But the Bengals in a great spot, week off. Fix a few things, and we'll see where it goes. And, and real quick, did you like the bye week? What did you do on the bye week? What was that like for you? Well, it sure wasn't like the bye weeks they have now. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I played eight years with Bill Parcells, and, you know, bye weeks were brutal. Yeah. Jeez. You know, they were allowed to <laughs> – you know, there you play the game. You're thinking, oh, this going to be a nice leisure week. Well, we had three practices, and they were hard. It was like training camp again, right? What's that? It was like training camp again, right? It, it, it might not have been that bad, but it was close. And I'm going, damn, I'm exhausted. I was hoping to get a little time off here. All right, guys, I'm going to give you three days off, and if any of you come back, you'll be hell to pay. And just, you know, you're just like, oh, my gosh. Just, but you know what? It, it tells you something, too. And I say this all the time. You know, winning, and you know as an ex-player, winning can make you comfortable. Yep. And and so you need a guy that always can create something to make you uncomfortable or see the bad. You know, Bill would give us a little love every once in a while, <laughs> but but that would only be. And you know, I just I, I really believe this is a big thing in pro football. When we would lose, he would almost be more sympathetic. Come on, it's okay. Just keep doing. You know, yeah. he would be a little. But we won. It was to bring us back down to earth, tell us that, you know, you better do this and this and everybody. And it really kept you on edge. And I said, every day I walked in that locker room, and I'm not exaggerating this, I felt pressure. And that pressure was, man, I need a good day of practice. Yeah. Okay, I really got to practice well because, oh, my God, they chewed my rear end out after practices over yesterday. And, you know, they were. it was so the game is what? It's really hard, right? No doubt. It's really hard. So it's not human nature for to go out and work that hard mentally and physically. And unless you have somebody driving that boat and doing that for you, I don't think you have a chance of achieving the success that you want. Our thanks to Phil Sims, and that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. And if you have a minute... Please give us a rating or leave a comment. Your feedback is very much appreciated, and five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.